feel like I learned a lot about myself in the last study of Joel and looking forward to Brother Dignan and the series to come. But for the next two weeks, I'd like you to join me in the book of Proverbs, the Old Testament, but not one of the prov- uh, prophets that we've been uh, studying. And um, I'd like to invite you to turn to chapter 9. Proverbs was a book of the Bible written largely by King Solomon, who was known for his wisdom. Uh, it begins in Proverbs, if I can find Proverbs, chapter 1, where it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. Solomon was... Uh, anointed king under very troubling circumstances. His father, David, had passed away, and there was just a lot of conflict in among his brothers and fighting over the throne. But he's finally established as king, and he prays, and he asks God not for the things that we might hear from, uh, our, you know, from a, a kid's wish list for, uh, for, for, for just for, uh, for money or for fame or any of those sorts of things. He prays for wisdom. He says, I'm young. I really don't know. I don't feel prepared to lead this nation. And he asked God if he would give him wisdom to judge and to lead the people in a wise and helpful and godly way. And so God responds by giving him remarkable wisdom and along with it, many of those other things. There was peace in the kingdom. The kingdom prospered economically. And for they built the temple. It was majestic and beautiful and really in many ways the high point of, of some of Jewish history there in the Old Testament but in 1 Kings chapter 3, when he asks for wisdom and understanding to lead the people, it very quickly goes in, in that same chapter, explains how Solomon put the wisdom he was given into practice. So it wasn't just facts that he had in his, in his head, but it tells this story about how Solomon is leading and uh, he acts as the Supreme Court in a way, and there's two ladies who come in. Their problem was they were uh, both... Uh, prostitutes and they both lived in the house together. It was just the two of them who lived in this home and they both got pregnant. One of them had their baby. I believe it was a baby boy and it was alive and well. And about three days later is when this other lady had her baby. And it's kind of graphic. It's a difficult circumstances. Some of these court cases get like that. But evidently in the night, for some reason, the one mother rolled over on the baby and the baby died. And we can imagine the emotions of waking up and realizing that happened. But this lady uh, decided that she would take the dead baby and trade it out for the baby of the other mom in in the house. And so she did that in the middle of the night. And so now you have these two ladies without paternity tests before Solomon. Hey, that live baby is my baby. And the mom said, no, this baby I woke up to, this one isn't mine. And so they go through all the court systems. No one knows how to handle it. That's before Solomon. And Solomon now, it's the test. And, and this is what uh, the chapter tells us. Solomon says, all right, we don't really have a way of, of figuring this out. So get a sword. And they bring in a sword. And he says, no, I want you to cut the alive baby in half and give one half to the one mom and the other half to the other mom. And surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, I guess the one lady says, 
that sounds good to me, right? We can each have half and we'll be fair. And the other lady says, no, please give the baby to the other one. I'd rather that it was alive and she has the live baby than I have it. And Solomon said, the lady who said that we should keep it alive, that's the real mother. And so the real mother uh, gets the baby. And, and that's how the story, and, and people are amazed at this uh, ability of Solomon, not only to know a lot of facts about trees and about biology and about botany, which evidently Solomon knew a lot about, but he knew how to apply it in a certain way to live life well. And so Solomon writes many of these Proverbs. He Uh, There's almost a thousand verses of Proverbs here, and Proverbs is really given to us in two parts. The first part of Proverbs makes the moral case for wisdom. It's telling us that we should want wisdom. It's telling us that there are other options in the world. We can follow foolishness and we can follow wickedness, but, but wisdom, God's wisdom, wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord, this is something worth pursuing at all costs. We might think that what will solve our problems is money or the right political system or the right book or whatever the case is. But but what he's saying there is of all the things that you can ask for, wisdom is the principal thing, get wisdom. And so the first nine chapters or so cover that wetting our appetite and the rest of Proverbs has to do with the wise words themselves, the different things about life and all of life that we should reflect on and think about as we live our lives in order to live it in a just way, in a righteous way, in a wise way. And so what I'd like to do tonight, if you'll join me in chapter 9, is just read the closing argument in a way that helps prepare our hearts for all the actual Proverbs that begin in chapter number 10. And read with me chapter 9 and verse number 1 through verse 6. It describes here wisdom. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live. And go in the way of understanding. And now go to verse 13, and we'll read to uh, verse number 18. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city, of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith unto him, Stolen waters are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. We're presented with two women who are calling. One is wisdom, woman wisdom. She calls and she's calling the simple to come in hither. Hey, I have a place for you to come and it's prepared for you. And then you also have this we have folly, we have foolishness who's also calling to come come join her as well. And we have some choices to make. Now, life has a lot of choices in it, doesn't it? Now, some choices, in fact, oftentimes, the wise choice is actually rather obvious. The wise choice is simple, but oftentimes it's not easy. I've heard someone say it this way, easy decisions, hard life, Hard life, 
hard decisions, easy life. They say it better than I just said it. But if you get the idea that sometimes when we go through life, there actually are some binary choices here. There's a good way, a wise thing to do. And if we all asked each other what the wise thing to do, we would kind of know what the wise thing to do. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. Uh, In our parenting experience, we've had children who have sucked their thumb. And uh, it's kind of cute when they're little and it's very convenient because they don't drop the pacifier. If they do drop the pacifier, it's attached to their arm. They can just stick it right back in. But as they get older, there are some problems that develop. If you suck your thumb long enough, I guess your thumb will get wrinkly, right? Because it gets wet. It's all wet all the time. Um, It starts to stick your teeth out eventually, I've heard. At least that's what dentists say. Um, you uh, get germs, more germs than maybe you want in your mouth as you touch different things. And so you, you want to get away from the habit, but for some of us, it's difficult to get through the habit of sucking our thumb. It's just something that we're comfortable with that worked out for us very well for a little while, and it just has kind of stuck around and we still do it. It's not wise. Hopefully we still don't do it, I guess. But Uh, some still do it longer than it would be wise. Let's advance this just a little bit. How about alcoholism? We know it's not good for us. I think it's pretty well documented. It causes cirrhosis of the liver. It uh, causes people to make all sorts of foolish decisions. We understand mad, right? Mothers against drunk driving and all the tragic circumstances that come from that. And yet alcoholism still continues. There are people who, if you ask them, they would tell you that Alcoholism is wrong and hurtful, but it's sometimes difficult to, 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 to choose a different path. What we eat, where we, how much we spend our time, how we spend our time, how we take care of our bodies or our property, the priority we give the word of God and the church. There are many areas in life where what is wise is sometimes simple, Oftentimes, it's not easy. And there's reasons why it's not as easy as it might seem. Let's look, first of all, at woman wisdom. And so we'll look at this chapter in three parts. Woman wisdom is the first part. Woman folly is the last part that we read. And then in the middle, we have this scornful man described as sort of a warning in the middle. But let's first look at part one and verse number one. We see, first of all, that this woman wisdom, this lady has builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. So she has built a very beautiful home and she has struck the balance between something that's very beautiful and something very durable. There's seven pillars. I don't know the significance of seven pillars, but it's beautiful. It's ornate. It's well-established and it's durable and it's going to last a long time. So she's got a great house. It's going to be safe. Uh, In verse two, she hath killed her beasts Uh, What I take that to mean is there's going to be lots of animal protein. I'm thinking prime rib, uh, especially when you put butter on the outside of it and and really hot in the oven for just a little while to bake it all into the crust there. Rotisserie chicken from Costco or similar. Uh, Rabbit stew. I've actually had rabbit stew. It sounds delicious. I didn't particularly like it, but these are the things I'm coming up with in my mind. She hath killed her beasts uh, to provide for this wonderful m- mule. She hath mingled her wine. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar. All that could come to mind here for this was scoops of sherbet already floating in the punch bowl, ready to go. You have the scooper ready to go. It's going to be delicious. Uh, the table is set. She hath for, uh, sent forth her, uh, I'm sorry, in verse um, 
two, she hath furnished her table. So the candles are lit and the forks and the steak knives and the soup spoons and the napkins and the white uh, tablecloths. It's all ready to go. Everything is just all there. It's not going to even be anything beyond just coming and and partaking of it all. She has sent out her servants in verse number three, her maidens to go out uh, and, and, and invite others, let them know about this big banquet that's prepared for anyone who would like to come uh, be a part of it. Now, there's more going on to this than just telling us a neat story about a wonderful meal, a wonderful banquet that's being prepared. Wisdom is sending out this invitation through her maidens, through her servants. We think of those through whom wisdom speaks. We think about teachers. We think about parents. We think about pastors. We think about those voices, whatever they are, that are out there saying, hey, come see what wisdom has to offer. Come be a part of this. I'm thankful for all of those who've come before me who encouraged me or have encouraged me to pay attention to this voice that is inviting me to be a part of wisdom. When we think of the meal, we can't help but think of the meal that's being prepared as being more than just a delicious meal that will last for a few hours and then be forgotten about, but is actually something that feeds our soul. Scripture does that. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, Moses reminded the people of Israel, before he died, he said, remember how God took care of you, right? In the 40 years of wilderness, and he took care of your clothes and he fed you. But it says this, he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. He says that, You can live physically off of bread, but God was teaching you that even while you're providing for yourselves or providing for your family physically with food, just as important, more important is that you have a relationship with God. It goes beyond just existing, physically getting through the world, but having a relationship with God. Man should live not by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And this is so profound that Jesus, when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and he's tempted to do these different things that are not, wouldn't bring glory to the Father or be part of Jesus's purpose. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, turning stones into bread, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we see here that God's word is important for us. Wisdom is important to us. The wisdom we find in God's word is important for us. And God's word will inevitably lead us as we read it from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, as we read it all the way through the Bible, or the prophets, Joel, all the way through the New Testament. It will always lead us to Christ. God's word will always lead us to Jesus. It's a scarlet thread that goes through every verse of Scripture. It will lead us. It tells us the story of the gospel. It reminds us of our sin and our, uh, the penalty of sin and the consequences of that, the destruction of that, but also the redemption we can find in Christ. Jesus says that in John chapter 6, verse 51. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus is saying that what men need more than all the other things that we can think about in life that are important is me. 
they need salvation. They need a relationship with God through Christ. They need uh, a place of, of redemption and salvation. So uh, Jesus talks about him being the bread of life in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, he begins his sermon, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so as we think about wisdom having a banquet prepared, as, as Solomon here is working his way through Proverbs and leading us to all the advice he's going to give under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's going to remind us wisdom has a meal prepared. It's more than just a meal. It's scripture. It's a relationship with God. It's what we need in Christ. Wisdom leads us to Christ. Well, she continues then, we see in verse number four, this is the invitation. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. So her invitation is not to anyone real important, as it were. It's not talking to someone who has to have a certain pedigree or at a time in ancient history where who you, whose child you were was of extra importance. If you're simple, if you're simple, if you want understanding, I have this meal prepared especially for you. If you're interested, if you're hungry, if you haven't had enough to eat, if you're simple, if you need wisdom, this is particularly for you. We think of those throughout history who were not considered wise in an earthly sense, but became useful for the Lord. One illustration of that is D.L. Moody, if you're familiar with him and his story. Not particularly well-educated, not financially well-off, spoke in some sort of uh, accent, and the words he used were not particularly eloquent when there were others who spoke far more eloquently, but people were impressed by his conviction and his sincerity, and God used him in a remarkable way. In 1 Corinthians one twenty six, it we're reminded by Paul, for ye see our, your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Uh, there are many who came, were early part, part of the church and Christians who came from slavery, who came from all sorts of different backgrounds and weren't the aristocrats of the day. Whoever you are, if you can be simple, the bar isn't very high for you to come partake of this banquet that wisdom has and, and that you're invited to. You and I are invited. In other words, wisdom is saying to her maidens as they go out and they teach and they invite people to come be a part of this banquet, we're not looking for eloquence, Moses. We're not looking for heroism, Gideon. We're not looking for a political expert, Joshua. We're not looking for someone from a perfect family, Joseph. We're not looking for an idealized life, Esther. We're not looking for Mr. Olympia, Samson. We're not looking for a great intellect, Peter. We're looking for someone who is teachable, someone who is hungry, someone who is willing to take the time to stop what they're doing and cross the street or turn to the left and go and head into whatever it is that wisdom has prepared for them. So we're invited. The banquet is ready. But on the other side of the road, you hear another voice, and that voice is calling, and that's woman folly. So in verse 13, 
she, this is, she's described, a foolish woman is clamorous. So wisdom wasn't shy, but there was a certain elegance, I guess, to how we, at least I picture her in verse number one. But in here, in verse 13, the foolish woman is very loud. She's foolish. She's clamorous. Someone said, the, Plato said this, wise men speak because they have something to say, fools because they have to say something. So she has plenty to say, but it's not necessarily something worth listening to. She is ignorant and simple. It says that in verse 13. She actually is simple and she knoweth nothing. She sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. And so as people are walking through, she's actually sitting in a seat. Now, wisdom, woman wisdom, is not sitting. She's been busy. She's been busy preparing her meal and all of this sort of thing. But folly, even though she's simple and doesn't know anything, she's actually sitting in a chair. Have you ever heard of the chairman of a committee? Right? Um, Have you ever heard of a professor having the chair or possessing a chair in some big university? This person has this person, Isaac Newton's chair or that sort of thing. Well, evidently, I didn't grow up in this particular time frame, but evidently throughout history, chairs actually were were less common than they are today. They were uh, expensive to have. People tended to sit on stools or benches and to create a chair for one person to sit on, especially one that would be comfortable, would be uh, difficult to come by. In fact, uh, this is what one uh, Hebrew commentator said. He said, probably chairs were so rare that only the highest noblemen owned one. In Elizabethan times, chairs were a luxury. Common people sat on stools and benches. The gentry used cushions on the floor, and even the grandest ballroom rarely held more than one chair. Only the nobleman himself sat on it. When a teacher was raised to the position of professor, he was presented with an actual chair as a symbol of his elevated status in the world of learning. So also in Proverbs, the chair or throne symbolizes a seat of honor. So this foolish woman, she doesn't know anything, right? She's simple, but she's sitting in this chair, this chair of honor and authority, and people who walk by may come to see some sort of respect for the position that she's in. For whatever reason, we don't know how she got there, but she's sitting in the chair there at the gates of the city, and uh, and that's this position. And sometimes we do find people who don't know anything or don't have any wisdom in positions that should be there for someone who might be wiser. She also has an invitation in verse 16, and this is who she's inviting. She's inviting the simple. Ah, so the simple can hear woman's wisdom's voice, or the simple can hear this invitation from the foolish woman. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. This is the same invitation that woman wisdom gave. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, ah, but what she has to offer is different. There's no meal prepared. There's nothing at, like that at all offered. But this is what the advice she has. She says, stolen waters are sweet. Waters, it's not even the sherbet floating in the punch bowl. Just <laughs> stolen water. The, getting what you need illegitimately. It's sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Illegitimate bread, illegitimate water. It's sweet, it's pleasant, it's what you want, it's what you need. And so this is the invitation that they're given. And it's not even what what wisdom has to offer. 
But the, the, what she's encouraging them to do is to do, for follow something, pursue something that isn't wise. This is interesting. Maybe what we could understand her saying is something like this. Go live your life, right, Eve? Ignore what God had to say. God's just trying to keep you from knowledge, right? So eat the fruit and you'll understand more. God's keeping you something from you. And so it's, 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 it looks tasty. It, it looks beautiful to the eye. It's going to taste great. Go eat the fruit. This is the sort of thing she's encouraging the simple to consider. Live, live life and just pursue whatever seems to uh, make sense in the moment. Don't worry about your obligation before God. The fear of the Lord is not considered at all here. And it might be easier for them for some reason. This must be how temptation works. This is how Satan tempts Eve. This is how uh, Satan tempts Jesus, right? Uh, just turn the bread to become, uh, I'm sorry, turn the stone to become bread. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple and show everyone that uh, you can't be harmed and, and just follow my suggestions and my leading and don't follow the way you should go. Maybe it's a shortcut. Maybe it's easier. Maybe it appeals to something in our flesh. Whatever the case is, uh, this is the appeal that she has. What isn't readily apparent, what no one sees in this whole chapter, what the simple don't see, what woman folly doesn't even seem to see, or wisdom. But here we see in verse number 18, he knoweth not that the dead are there. Here with foolishness. He knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Folly isn't easier after all, but it can seem easier in the moment. It can seem in a brief moment to be, as the Bible says, sin is pleasurable for a season. And so there are reasons why there are those who follow foolishness. There's a reason why we follow foolishness. There's a reason why, even though wisdom has this beautiful thing prepared, why many don't ever find themselves there. Why we make foolish decisions. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but we're reminded that the seasons change. And we're thankful for that about this time of year. We're ready for spring, but what you sow in the spring ends up being the harvest. Or if you don't sow in the, in the spring and summer, then you don't have what you're looking for in the harvest time. And so these temptations, these, uh, these seasons as they change, the temptation to shortcut wisdom is always going to be prevalent there. I just found out yesterday that a friend of mine uh, growing up passed away in January. And uh, part of the story of his, his life is that he uh, was a remarkable guy in many ways, but he made a few foolish decisions. And so I've lived long enough now, not very long, but long enough now to see some people make some foolish decisions and see their lives destroyed and see other people's lives destroyed. Not eternally, but what you would have seen as the path of potential for their life, um, leaving behind some destruction behind them. Well, this is what happens when we follow foolishness. It may be tempting for a moment. Stolen waters are sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Uh, but the dead are there, and her guests are the depths of hell. We shouldn't be ignorant of the result of folly. 
I remember growing up in Milwaukee, and we would go to the Milwaukee Rescue Mission, and we would preach there and have services there uh, fairly regularly. And we would go downtown and hand out tracts, and you got to see all sorts of things downtown Milwaukee as a kid growing up. Uh, Milwaukee, if you go behind uh, Miller Park, uh, just uh, there are uh, what look like buildings, rows of buildings that are just the Miller Light, right, for all the games that they have there. Uh, makes makes for interesting experiences uh, growing up there. Um, but but it's not all bad to be exposed to what you see sometimes in some of those places, at the rescue mission or uh, downtown in the big cities, because there's a lot of hurt there, and there's a lot of destruction, and there's a lot of lives that you can see different potential. And, and, it, and it, it reminds me, or it was a lesson to me growing up, about there are different paths you can follow, and some paths are meant to be avoided. You remember the commercials for smoking, right? The camel commercials. I remember, there used to be a lot more commercials than there are now. Um, but camel was the, it's in the Bible, right? Rebecca lit off a camel. Uh, that's somewhere in the Bible, somewhere early in the Bible, I think. But um, there were commercials about this, but it was always a cowboy. And uh, he was doing, a, you know, he was, he was healthy. And he was, it was great for his lungs. He was out in the great west. And uh, they didn't show the consequences, right? That's, they get in trouble because they didn't uh, let people know about the consequences of that uh, for many people over time. Um, I've, I've told this story before, but uh, I, I, it was, I'll, sh- I'll tell it again. Uh, a young man went to a cowboy out west. He met a cowboy out west who was 104 years old. He was still active and in good health. So he asked the cowboy what the secret was to long life. The old man said, you got to sprinkle a little gunpowder on your porridge every morning. See, if you do that, you'll live to a nice, ripe old age. So the young man did this religiously every day for the rest of his life. And sure enough, he lived to be 100. When he died, he left behind six children, 10 grandchildren, 56 great-grandchildren, and a 16-foot hole in the wall of the crematorium. So woman wisdom, woman folly, and lastly, we have in the middle a warning about the scornful man. The scornful man, this, this is a warning. We're taught here through this particular individual what not to do. Verse number seven, he that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wise man, a wicked man, getteth himself a blot. You know, there are some people, when you try to help them, they actually make things worse. They tell you that, I guess, when you're a lifeguard, you have to be careful at sometimes. There are some people, you may try to save their life, but if they're not prepared to let you help them, they may cause you as a lifeguard to drown as well. You help the wrong guy out of a pit, he might pull you into the pit as well. It seems like some of the Jewish leaders were like that. They spent their time with Jesus trying to trap him. They asked him questions about the Roman taxes because they, would, they knew that would get everyone riled up and maybe get Jesus arrested or into trouble. They asked a question about divorce that was a, a, a controversy among the Jewish people at the time. Uh, they asked the question about the woman whose husbands all kept dying and uh, whose wife she would be in the resurrection uh, in the kingdom. And uh, I would, it wouldn't be a wise idea to marry that particular lady, I don't think. I don't know what the story was with all of that. 
But the point was the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus into trouble. They were busy doing that. At some point, they stopped asking him questions because they weren't getting anywhere and they just went about to kill him. And there is the scornful man. There is a man there who, if you try to help him, and, you, and, and wisdom tries to reach out to him, there's something there that causes him to just turn it and twist it into something uh, that it was never meant to be. Then there's a man who, when he actually is looking for help and he's even rebuked, it's painful, but he embraces it. When you reprove or try to help a wise man, he doesn't hate you for it. Ultimately, he actually appreciates it. He loves you for it. And this is the type of individual who can be helped. Here in verse number eight, reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. You have to be careful. But you rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Verse nine, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. And so this individual there is someone who, as they journey through life, they're still hungry for growing in wisdom. Much of the Proverbs are written to my son. And we might think that they're written just to be someone who's younger, or just a young man who's about to enter adulthood. But all of Scripture and the Proverbs are open to all of us to live our lives well with wisdom in the fear of the Lord if we'll heed them. We have examples in the Scripture. We have David, for example. David did many amazing things. He was just incredible. He was a musician and he was a warrior and he was a, a good leader in, in many, many things. But he did commit murder and adultery. He was the king. He violated his trust of his people. And it was Nathan who comes to him and, of course, tells this parable and speaks to David and says, thou art the man and confronts him with his sin. And other people no doubt knew about it, but Nathan was the one who was willing to to, uh, to approach David about it. It's at the end of David's life, right before Solomon becomes king, where the two people David could trust were Bathsheba and Nathan. Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba worked together to help him know what was all going on and help get Solomon to become the king. And that's just an example of Nathan who was able to talk to David, was also able to be a help to David at the end of David's life. David repented and David um, took to heed what Nathan was sowing, uh, was saying. He's growing in, in, in wisdom. A wise man continues to grow. A wise man continues to remain humble. And he, the more he grows, the more he becomes wise. And some people just don't, they get comfortable, I guess, is, the, is, is what it is. They're, they're not growing. In verse number 10, this is perhaps the key verse of this whole chapter, if not in some ways, the book of Proverbs, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Here we have the fact that when we think about life, the Bible may not tell you exactly what viscosity, is that what it is, of oil that you put in your car. It may not tell you some of those, you know, little facts that you might know about, you know, how to bake a pie or how to weld something, or how to build something. But it answers all the basic questions of life, the big questions of life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? 
And it's telling us that the beginning of all real wisdom, true wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. And the knowledge of the holy, coming to know God, know about God. And that's why we find it so important to teach our children about God. Someone said the fear of the Lord, it's a real fear. But in the sense of awe and reverence, it honors God as he really is, holy, just, and the creator of all. It's not a cowering or servile fear, but it is a kind of fear nonetheless. When we fear the Lord, when we get to know the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. And we enter into knowing God through the scripture and through our own personal relationship with him. Well, we have woman wisdom and woman folly. It seems like it would be obvious to go and be part of woman's wisdom's banquet. You would think everyone would want to be wise. It sounds like an awesome thing going on over there. But we have a few things that are against us. We have scar tissue from life. Maybe our parents hit each other, so we do too. Or perhaps our parents had bad habits. We follow those as well. Perhaps we've allowed bad habits from the past to continue into the future. Unresolved hurts. Someone said hurting people hurt people. Um, we grow up with foolish hearts. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. It didn't have to like figure it out somewhere. It just is there. We have peer pressure from a foolish culture. We begin to cross the street to go towards wisdom's banquet and friends laugh at us or pull us back. And that happens in our culture. And so what do we do? Well, let me, let me offer th- three things, three things that we can do as we think about what it means to be part of wisdom's banquet. First of all, know that God is good. The Bible says in Romans, the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. God is our creator. He made the world. We couldn't put a committee together today of the smartest of us and somehow plan a better way of operating the world. God is perfect in his wisdom and he's good and we can trust in him. His intentions are good towards us. And so we, unlike Eve, following after Satan and distrusting what God had said and what he did and his limitations on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Instead of disobeying God or distrusting God and believing the devil, we reject the devil and we trust in the Lord. We know that he's good, the knowledge of the holy. We can't trust everybody. We learn that as we go through life, but we can trust our creator. Wisdom is our friend. Sin is destructive. Satan is deceitful. Folly will not satisfy. Her guests are in the depths of hell, but God wants to offer us, in Christ ultimately, but wants to offer us life and that more abundantly. We need to know that God is good and can satisfy so we find our satisfaction in him and not in the illegitimate water or the illegitimate bread that life may provide or offer us. Secondly, we need to receive a new heart through repentance and faith in Christ. It's important for us to not only try to reform or try to live life better, but to be given a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, this promise was made, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you an heart of flesh. We need a new birth. We need to... um, 
we need to understand what it means to become, uh, as mentioned Sunday morning, a child of God, someone whose orientation at the deepest level has changed because we have repented from our sin and trusted in Christ and given him our heart. In verse 6 of chapter 9, it said, forsake the foolish and live. Forsake the foolish in living. Go in the way of understanding. This might be the hardest part. When it comes to eating or going to women's, women wisdom's banquet, we have to leave something else behind. And it's hard to let some things go sometimes. I, I'm always reminded when I think about this of Mr. Yan. Mr. Yan was someone who uh, my dad handed a tract to in downtown Milwaukee. He was a teacher at one of the universities down there. And he was from communist China, had one daughter, was married. His daughter and wife were in, in communist China, and he was teaching on a visa in Milwaukee. And uh, he started coming to a Baptist church, and he didn't know anything about Jesus. And he would come on Sunday, and we would give him a ride because he didn't have a license. And it's a good thing he didn't have a license because uh, bicycles drive differently than cars. And... Uh, he eventually did get his license, and uh, I remember him driving down the wrong side on a six-lane road with the median, driving the wrong side to get to somewhere else. But uh, I think they travel differently in Shanghai than they do in Milwaukee. Um, he came for, to church for weeks and weeks. I think it was six months he came to church and would ask questions all the time before he trusted in Christ. But by trusting in Christ, it meant he was probably going to lose his wife. And it meant he was probably going to lose his position as a professor and all the respect he had that was so important to his culture. It took him a long time to forsake all of that other stuff to be able to trust in Christ. If you asked him today if that was a good decision, he would say you yes. But, but uh, you can see how, if, if I were to ask everyone here today, how many of you want to be smart, right? How many of you, I don't think too many people would say, no, I want to be dumb. I really like being dumb. I just... How many of you want to be wise? I don't think too many people would say, no, I really want to be a fool. I want everyone to, to think, you know, I'm a fool. I want to go through life the hardest possible way you can, right? I want to make every mistake. Not too many people volunteer for that. But why do so many follow this path? Well, forsake the foolish. That's something that we have to contemplate if we're going to move ahead into wisdom. And then lastly, we should become a beginner again and prepare to change. This happens when we're born again. We become a new creature, a new, a new uh, we go through a renovation, right? Uh, we present our bodies a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 tells us. Charles Spurgeon said, conversion is a turning onto the right road. The next thing to do is walk on it. And to walk and to be someone who has a hunger to learn and a hunger to learn what God is teaching us through the scripture and to have a hunger for uh, a right relationship with the Lord. There are many things that are to come in Proverbs. It talks about the tongue. It talks about finances and wealth. It talks about money. It talks about work. It talks about relationships. It talks about sexuality. It talks about a virtuous woman. It talks about a godly uh, man. It talks about so many different things. But just because we read them and they become clear doesn't mean they'll come naturally. If our life is to become a wiser life, a more meaningful life, one that helps more people and helps glorify the God and helps our country and reflects the wisdom and glory of God, 
We need to be hungry. We need to be teachable. We should ask God for wisdom. James tells us to do this, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. But as we ask him for wisdom, we can't neglect the wisdom he's already given us. We open up our ears to his word. We open up our ears to the preaching and teaching of his word. And we resolve that we will be teachable and continue to learn. Someone said this, In every city, on every street, by every door of opportunity, there are two voices of wisdom and folly that are appealing to men. Uh, To obey the call of wisdom is to live. To yield to the clamor of folly is to die. How shall we discern between the two voices? By making the fear of Jehovah the central inspiration of life. By yielding the being at its deepest to him for correction and guidance. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are good. You made a good world and that despite the brokenness that we see represented in it and in our own lives, that you love us and sent your only begotten son to die for us, that we could uh, receive salvation and that we could be uh, walk with you as your child in this world and then also look forward to a, a new heaven, a new earth where dwelleth righteousness. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to live wise lives with the, with the short time that you give each of us. Our lives are something like a vapor, appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. Lord, help us to have wisdom in our lives, that we live our lives in a way that would glorify you and would help us to lead others to wisdom as well. Lord, I do pray that you'd give us the wisdom each of us need in so many different times and places in our life, whether we're a grandparent or a grandchild or a mother or daughter or father or son or uh, different stages of our Christian life, Lord, that we would love one another and journey together uh, in a gracious way, but that each of us, Lord, would be learning the things we need to learn for the new week and the new new stage ahead for each of our lives. We pray that you would give us that wisdom and you give us ears to hear. And help us, Lord, to have the willingness and courage to leave behind or forsake behind uh, foolishness and to pursue and grab hold of uh, living a life that would be uh, guided by your wisdom. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.